welcome to 2021 and our new uh, new year of auto catch up episodes and um, hope you had a good break hope you had a good start to 2021 i know it's uh, not going to be perfectly back to normal um, but hopefully uh, you, you've been enjoying a little bit more of a positive start to the year compared to what we experienced in 2020 um, over the break we had a, a pretty great um, great time with a few wide range of cars and um to talk to with me with everything that's been going on about what we've been getting up to over the Christmas break, as well as to discuss the news that has happened since then. I've got Joel Strickland at Joel Strick Photo. Welcome back, Joel. Hi, Ash. So, did you have a good break? I did. Thank you. And uh, get up to anything uh, or get away anywhere? No, unfortunately, we had a um, they had another outbreak down here in Victoria just uh, before New Year's, so everything got a bit quiet for a couple of weeks. So um, that put uh, you know a lot of plans and stuff on on hold, unfortunately. So um, yeah, didn't get a chance to to really do that. Got a little bit of work done, but uh, beyond that, no, not not a chance to to really get out and do any travel, unfortunately. <laughs> Well, we had uh, we had three days of lockdown and then a period of um, mandatory masks uh, as we sort of battled and and, and sort of tr- con- you know did our best to contain a UK variant getting out and um, seems to be so far we've we've done a pretty good job of doing that. Um, but we've been keeping busy with a good stream of cars. Um, so we had quite a number of different things. So last time we spoke, we had um, the the Lexus LC500. We jumped into the LC500H as well, um, as well as also jumping into the new Kia Sorento. We had the Sport Diesel, um, which is not the top-of-the-line GT, but... Uh, but it is certainly a, a more budget-friendly version of an already um, pretty good car. Um, moving on to that, we also jumped into the the little sporty number from Kia, the Kia Rio GT. Um, that was a, a fun little thing to, to drive around. Um, and then after that, uh, what did we have? The Outlander Fev GSR. So that was the slightly, I'm going to say lightly updated Outlander Fev, um, still nothing, nothing huge in the in the tech jump. Um, it is merely a, in the GSR guys. Anyway, it was um, a, a purely cosmetic affair, but I think it was quite nice. It'd probably be my pick. I wouldn't go the top of the line model. I'll go the GSR. It's just a little bit more sporty. Um, it does have a nice dark um, uh, roof uh, roof line, as well as. Um, the you know the suede seats and things like that so it just felt a little bit better um it felt more premium out of compared to the leather that mitsubishi tends to use in the cars of that generation um so certainly a a positive experience in that and then um just handed it back today but we had the 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 new genesis g80 um we had the 2.5 t rear wheel drive um so it's the four cylinder but it was in the luxury pack um, so it definitely didn't skimp on any features at all. And, um, certainly at a, just over a hundred thousand dollars, um, add on, I think it was about 107,000. If you factored in, um, the matte paint that it had, as well as the luxury pack, um, certainly makes it a fairly competitive offering compared to what you look at, you know, look at the BMW five series, Mercedes E-Class, um, Audi A6, um, 
you're getting a lot of car for a lot of you know for for not as much money that you you get from the other European makers and um, everybody that I showed it to and and even um, and we'll talk about it in a sec the the end festival that I attended yesterday put on by Hyundai um, it was a, a car that drew a lot of attention a lot of admiration. Um, we had a lot of people when we'd stop in at places wanting to stop and take photos and, and ask about it, learn more about it. And um, I think it's we've spoken about it before. That's at the moment that's the downside of Genesis. There's there's no way to go into a dealer or to go into a, a showroom or anything like that to see it. Um, and as far as I'm aware, like the G80 that I was driving is the only one in Queensland at the moment. So when if if you're a little bit aware of the brand. Um, when you see one, it's kind of a big deal because they're just not out on the road very much at all, particularly it's a new car. But, um, yeah, it's it's certainly got a lot of excitement around it. And um, I, I also have people that I know that are, are really keen on the G70 and particularly the GV70, um, which we should be getting in the not-too-distant future. Yeah, it's, look, uh, the picture I saw there that I looked at looked pretty cool, like a nice spec with those wheels and, and stuff. But, yeah, the Genesis is... Um, certainly gathering uh, momentum and uh, growing to a lot of people. More and more people are finding out about them and wanting to uh, to learn more about them or even drive them. Yeah, it's. I think it's just a nice um, – I think, I think Toyota and Lexus have done a really good job of showing how the premium sub-brand can work. So with Lexus um, becoming – you know. It, People know that it's a, a, you know, essentially, and I'll probably upset a few people, but it's a Toyota at heart. And so, and that brings a lot of good things along with that when buying a Lexus. You know that it's going to be reliable. You know that it's going to have reasonable servicing costs. And, um, you know, and it's just, you're, 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 you're getting those slightly more premium features and, and the slightly different um, body styling. And Hyundai, I think, have launched Genesis just at the right time where they've built that similar type of credibility as well, where these days people know that Hyundai is a is, is a reliable brand. Their servicing costs are brilliant. Um, you know, they've got great warranties and there's very little, you know, that people talk about when they don't like Hyundai compared to even if you go back 10 years or 15 years, um, people's opinion about Hyundai was, was obviously very, very different. Um, but now, you know, with Genesis, you, you get the five years of scheduled servicing. You've got a five-year unlimited kilometer warranty. Um, you know, it it makes it a pretty compelling deal, and and there's that inherent trust from people knowing that it's a, you know, it does have that Hyundai DNA underneath, um, that makes people probably a little bit more comfortable in buying one or at least exploring one, um, compared to maybe a totally new company that's you know that's coming out trying to offer a similar type of product. Yeah, if you understand that the Genesis is part of that Hyundai family, then it probably makes sense. But, yeah, I think it's one of those things, probably the same thing that Lexus probably had in the early days and maybe even Infinity did um, probably in the earlier time um, when they were with Noah here. But, yeah, it's or it's one of those things that I think if you understand the backing behind it or, you know, who's behind it, then you might be, you know, less worried about what you're buying into. Yeah, I, I think I was just talking with someone yesterday about it where – I think that's where Nissan kind of misstepped with the Infinity brand here, where, um, and even Holden did it with Astra as well, you know, and a few of the other, or with Opal in general. Uh, what GM did was they that that enthusiasm and the excitement around the core brand 
wasn't exactly there at the particular time they introduced these brands. And so it just didn't allow those, those sub brands or those other brands to really flourish. And um, I, I don't know many people who get terribly excited about a Nissan at the moment. And so if you're going, Hey, if you want to spend a little bit of money on a premium version of this, um, you might want to have a look at it. And I think it just at the moment, and we know that the new X trail is coming in and, um, what we've seen coming out of the US looks really exciting and, and I can't wait to see that because it seems to be the right step. Um, but at the moment for any of their typical cars, no one's really getting you know super excited about them compared to um, say what Hyundai or, or Toyota are putting out at the moment. Yeah, the future plans that they've got you know, for yeah. what Nissan are coming out with are yeah, pretty exciting. You look at the new... Rogue, which will become our X-Trail, that new design language and stuff. Um, you know, the American influence you talked before about having the um, the the Kia SUV family, you know, we're now seeing, and, and we'll talk about it a bit later with um, the new Carnival, but that American design language that's coming into the, to their models now is, you know, really strong. And I think it's doing a lot for, for those brands and people seeing them and, and just really liking that design. Yeah, absolutely. And um you know, it, it was highlighted. So yes, so yesterday um, on Sunday, I was able to go to um, what was technically the 2020 Hyundai N Festival um, because it got delayed from last year due to COVID. Um, but so so yesterday, yeah, Hyundai hosted their N Festival event for i30N and um, other N line uh, owners. And it was really a, a big celebration of what the brand has been able to achieve and obviously the excitement around those particular vehicles of which, um, you know, has been extremely popular um, across a number of, you know, within car enthusiast communities and, and regular people alike. Um, and so there were, I don't know what the official number was, but there was definitely close to, um, you know, 80 to 100 people registered to, to do the track day portion um and us as journos we had the opportunity to, to move through a number of different cars throughout the day um including you know everything from the the standard i30n hatch and fastback the premium models of that um as well as the experiencing the new i20n um which is coming soon which we i think light, latest info sort of it's it's aiming to be about that 30 to 35000 dollar mark compared to around about the 50 uh, late 40s, early 50s mark for the i30N. And um, it was just a wonderful, exciting day. It was, um, yeah, it was. It, it's unlike any other car events that I've been to where you've had, you know, members of the public or even happy laps or anything like that because this is a proper track day with timing and, and things like that. Um, people there to have a good time. People share their excitement about the brand, you know, obviously sharing their cars and um, obviously trying to go as fast as they can in a in a safer environment than than being out on the road. And unlike a lot of other manufacturers, the I guess a great way to showcase the the capabilities of the car is by Hyundai putting on an event like this at Queensland Raceway and um, and highlighting that yeah, uh, your warranty covers track day usage. And so I think it's a it's a very clever way for Hyundai to to create the excitement and um, to you know get in strengthen the community that's there. And um, talking to a number of people, they just really loved it. Uh, the cost was made affordable. You know, your track day is 
you know, I think it was $20 per car per person and um, 30 days for a 30, $30 for a, for a day license. And um, yeah, it was a great day. Wonderful day. We had good weather. It was probably a bit too warm. Um, Queensland raceway definitely isn't, doesn't play nice to your front left tire. Um, so we saw quite a few worn left tires, but apart from that, there were no mechanical failures, no, um, nobody went off the track and, um, you know, so no incidents overall, which obviously for any track day is a fantastic result, but also I think it's a, it was a great result for, for Hyundai in what they were wanting to achieve. Yeah, no, they've been pretty popular in that, you know, that in, um, performance family is growing now and, and more and more people and uh, are becoming part of it. And it's great that Hyundai is supporting this um, and really getting behind it. And, and you know, these end festival days are, are great to, to see them doing it and offering these track days and, and um, yeah, and seeing like that. And I think the other good thing is, is now is the, the spin-off now with, you know, Hyundai i30s being strong and competing in the TCR series as well. I think there's another really good crossover, particularly for the, the age old. And it's come from supercars, but it's more relevant almost now with TCR. But, you know, win on Sunday, sell on Monday, um, or in this weekend's case, because they're running, uh, they ran today and they're running again tomorrow. It's, yeah. you know, sell, 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 you know, race one day and sell the next day. So um, I think that's, it's really good. And I think it's, it's good to see that that support, from a brand and, and what they're what they're doing and, and supporting their owners and like you said the the warranty does you know help you cover off mm-hmm. being involved with track days I think he's he's really really good so really big hats off to Hyundai and um, I know they've had them in a couple of states but they haven't had one here in Vic so hopefully at some stage we might get one here in Vic and I can go and check it out. Yeah, and um, you know, and it wasn't just support by putting the event on. They had uh, techs there to help with um, you know the. Uh, everything basically from uh, mechanical support. So if you needed help setting the right tire, tire pressures all the way through to help changing brake pads or making any other adjustments that had gear there to help you with that. Um, so you didn't have to bring the entire toolkit. Um, so they did have that support. They had tech talks. So they pulled a car apart and, um, you know, they'll also to, to show things, but also answer questions at the same time. Um, so I think it was just a, a great way for them to, to showcase what they're about, how to, you know, foster that community. And, um, like what you said, create that excitement around the brand to sell cars. And, um, so we, yeah, we look, look forward to, to see what the future is. I'm, I'm, I definitely enjoyed the I-20N a lot. Um, I was probably one of the few, cause it, it went to do hot lap, um, duties after I drove it. Um, but yeah, uh, for, for what it is, I, <laughs> I was talking with the person I had in the car and I can't believe that this is an I-20. Um, you know, anything when it comes to performance, almost had like, you know, a side jack that, yeah, this is anything, you know, anything in that sort of that compact small car micro hatch sort of thing would, would joke about that, you know, there's nothing exciting about this. It's just a, to hit a price point. But then you jump into one of those and you go, wow, this is amazing. Um, and if what the discussions are around pricing, uh, you know, from what we read on online articles and things like that, um, it's it's going to be a seller. Um, there's hype around the GR Yaris, but, you know, for what could be $15,000 less, um it also buys you a lot of mods if you want to go down that route as well, which can get yeah, you exactly. a lot of performance as well. So it's going to be a good bit of uh, good bit of competition. 
Uh, but I see that we've got a, a listener question uh, coming in for our first episode of the year. Yeah, this uh, came across my desk um, whilst we were in between recording episodes. It uh, came through some um, the friends are looking for uh, a new car for an expanding family with a new baby on the way. Um, so number three kid on the way. Two of their current kids are in a child seat and a booster seat. Uh, they want something bigger than their current CX-5 and not sure where to go. Um, they they like the idea of an Odyssey um, uh, and, you know, the, the, the idea that vans are, are growing now, obviously like, you know, the Odyssey and the Carnival and stuff like that. Yeah. So, yeah, they, um, they're not sort of the, no real budget set. I think they just kind of really want something that will suit their needs at the end of the day. Yeah, look, I think that's a when you're wanting to go bigger than a six five and you're not fully set on a budget without going completely, you know, let's spend two hundred thousand dollars on a car. Um, it opens you up to quite a few options, and and particularly when you you don't mind a van, um, it, it does give you quite a few options. So you've got obviously um, Honda have updated the the Odyssey. Um, so that is, is certainly one, one option. You've got the new Kia Carnival, um, which is a big step. Hopefully we'll be able to get to drive it soon. Um, but that does offer a lot of comfort, a lot of features, and, um, you do still get a couple options in terms of trim level. Um, so depending on how much, uh, you know, how far you want to push that budget, you've got those options there, but then you've got things like the, you know, the, the Sorento. Um, if you if you need that third third row, that is also a, a strong option. Or if you're a bit more budget conscious, you've got the Mitsubishi Outlander. Um, so yeah, certainly going to a van will give you more flexibility in terms of accessing that third row and also not sacrificing too much uh, boot space. Particularly if you're going to be having a pram and um, you know mucking around with booster seats and seats and all that kind of thing. So certainly Odyssey or even a Carnival would be a, a strong contender for sure. Yeah, in terms of space and stuff like that, um, I think it's probably not a bad idea. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, it depends on whether they want to go, you know, that third row or, or get something wide enough that can take three across. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, you, you, you go back to that, you know, previous listener question that was looking for something that was a bit bigger. I think that you would look at something, you know, you could even look at a Colios and something like that in terms of space. Um, you know, you look at if you want to go big and you want to go with SUV, you look at something like a, an Everest. But, yeah, like you mentioned. Oh, well, you've got the, the Palisade as well. That's the Palisade is, is just launched out as well. Um, you know, the Santa Fe from Hyundai, I saw my first one of those mm. um, last week. Uh, they look pretty good in the, with, with the shape of, that they're offering now. Um, so, yeah, it really depends. But I would look at something like... You know, some of those 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 brands that we mentioned, like the the, the new Sorento, I think is design wise, you can't go past. I think in terms of space and stuff like that. Um, I would I would if the budget allows go to the GT line though. The others feel a bit sparse. Mm -hmm. um, so if you you get what you pay for with that, and it's the yeah. same thing. I mean, if they've been happy with the CX five and they want to stay in the family, I would certainly go and have a look at a CX nine. 
um, in terms of what they offer now. Uh, in it terms- just depends on the the disadvantages um, that I've I've seen and and when speaking to Mazda owners' perspective, Mazda owners compared to the other brands though is the servicing cost. They do tend to be a bit more um, slightly more expensive to to own over the longer term. Um, so, but that's something even no matter what these models that we've seen, you know, that we've mentioned is, is have a look at what those ownership costs are because they're all pretty much available online. Um, so if you're going to own the car, say for five years, have a look and jump on and, and have a look at car sales, look at five-year-old cars, see how much they're worth, um, to get a rough idea. It's, it's never gospel, but get a rough idea of what they're worth after, you know, that, that period of time. Cause most of these vehicles are not brand new with, with a couple exceptions like the Palisade. Um, and then, and then look at yeah, what those annual servicing costs are. Have a look at how many kilometres you're doing, and then the, use that to set your benchmark. So don't just look at the price of what the purchase is upfront. Look at that online. You know, look at that long term cost because it's usually that long term cost of servicing and maintenance that really makes the ownership positive or negative to have. Um, regardless of what the car cost at the beginning. And so think about those things, have a look, and then it's all about just sitting down and having a look at the options list, see what fits, and um, and then having a look at, well, do you want heated or cooled seats? Do you need backseat entertainment? Do you, do you want um, easily adjustable seats? Uh, do you want more luggage space? Like there's, there's a lot of things that you just need to make that list and then don't be afraid to, to go out to a dealer or, or use even um, a few other services out there that, you know, like a broker to, to help narrow down that choice for you. And then also just a matter of going and driving them really with a lot of yeah. this, you kind of narrow down, maybe jump online, do your research, work out you, you, you couple that you want to look at, you know, be it, but we talked about Kia, obviously with there's a couple of models in their brand. Um, we talked about Hyundai um, with a couple of models in there, in their stable um, and then even, you know, Nissan with some of their products. So maybe pick your, pick out which ones are the closest and then go to your local dealer and actually, you know, spend the time driving a couple of them, getting a feel for it, crawling over them um, and getting an idea of what what you think is going to work and, and just see what it feels like. And, and if you can, the other option is as well, if you've got a spare um, baby seat or something that you can take that's not currently installed in the car, take it along and actually just see how it sits in there when you put them, you know, next to each other because that's going to be your biggest thing is whether that, third, that second row is wide enough um to fit multiple seats in it yeah. so that you can you know feel that it's going to be comfortable um what's it like getting in and out of what's it going to be like in the boot um you know in terms of how high it's sitting off the ground um being able to get in and grab a pram and things like that uh, it's all these little things that you know you're going to kind of look at and see what works i mean it, the other thing you can look at as well is even look at some wagons i know Peugeot i've got a really nice wagon now volvo do um Mazda with their six have got a wagon, Volkswagen with the Passat. Um, you know, if you don't necessarily want to go SUV, but you want something that's got good space, um, you know, Subaru with their Outback, um, there's there's options to look at. So, yeah. Um, and and on those seats as well for the baby seats, have if you're using Isofix, um, make sure that there's Isofix points in all of the seats that you might want to have a seat in because I know that some cars don't have Isofix 
in all seating locations in the second and third row. Um, so don't just look at it and go, will it fit? But just double check as well um, that there's ISOFIX, particularly if you're going to have three different, you know, three different types of seats in the car at any one point. Um, it's worthwhile. Yeah, don't forget that. Buy the car and then work out that it it might not be the exact ideal. Yeah, there's not there's not points in every row if you yeah. need it. We're going to need yeah. ones in all three rows. So. Yeah. So really, it's just, yeah, it's just knowing, you know, just working out your list. It's like when you're going to look at a home because you do have, you know, every home is different. You've got lots of different choices. So make that list of want and needs. And then, um, yeah, that's the best way to narrow down what what you're going to be aiming for. But, yeah, there's, there's you've got plenty of options. Um, you've got some good choices out there um, to have a look at. It's, it's unlike uh, we've had some of the other ones where you've got some hard restrictions that makes it a little bit trickier, but... Um, you certainly have a, a wide range of choice to, to choose from and some good brands as well as some good warranty. Um, safety is pretty good across the entire board. Um, and so, yeah, you've got, um, should be should be a fun, fun experience. And work out what your must-haves are, you know, the things yeah. that you want, you must have to to be a, that are a, you know, a, a deal killer that, you know, the car must have this, you know, right, right with those, work out what they are and then you know what you, you, you've got to have as a minimum in terms of the car that you're looking for. Exactly. Okay. Well, um, I look forward to, to seeing how that list narrows down. And um, if you have any follow-up questions, let us know. Um, but if you do also have a question um, about a car, if you'd like us to, to answer it or um, even just uh, to have us review a car, you can always send us an email, shows at dailyautofix.com. Okay, motorsport. Tons of motorsport news has happened. So we're going to move through this pretty quickly because we don't want this to be a 10-hour epic uh, for a podcast this week. Um, but let's start in Formula One. So the big thing that's been hanging around, um, particularly for Red Bull, has been when Honda announced that they're pulling out um, of being an engine supplier. And so the question was, well, will Red Bull go back to Renault? Will they go to Mercedes? Will they utilize Ferrari? And um, it team, seems like they've finally um, made a deal with Honda for 2022 and beyond, um, that they're using their power units and obviously utilizing their technology, but they won't be having um, the, the factory support. Um, so, yeah, it's a bit of a funny bit of a funny relationship but obviously it's uh, and the question is well how much will red bull be able to keep you know how much money they're willing to spend to keep the development of the power unit going compared to to the other you know the other engine suppliers yeah it was interesting news when this follow filled through we all thought that they were going to go to Renault and and go down that route but uh, the fact that they've decided to continue with the honda relationship and have the ability to be able to extend it i think he's quite good um but how competitive will it be? You know, probably it's going to be effectively almost the same engine sort of this year than it was last year. But, you know, things moving forward, you know, how competitive will they be? Um, and, you know, with the with the lineup that they've got now as well with Sergio uh, in uh, alongside Max, you know, they will, could be an interesting team. So I think they're going to be a team to definitely watch uh, this year. Yeah, absolutely. And um, another making move is uh, Jensen Button is rejoining Williams, but not rejoining Williams, um, which was his uh, first team, but is uh, coming back in a support role um, to help with the development, obviously, of the team and uh, to be a bit bit of a 
uh, a mentor to you know to their drivers. So it's um it's gonna it, it obviously is a is a good move by Williams. It shows that there's um they've got the commitment there and they're wanting to to improve as a team. And so I think it's it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be fun to seeing to see him around in some sort of capacity in uh, in an F1 garage. Um, even he'll though we, it won't be behind the wheel. He'll provide advice and guidance to the team at Grove is the is the quote that I read. So um, it means he'll probably be at a few more events, which could be interesting. Um, but also as a bit of a, you know, um, you know, mentor to the guys in the team as well. I think that will be quite good um, as what they helping helping them achieve to to move forward. Yeah. So and obviously it's going to help with um, help with uh, keep the bank balance going for for the his race teams as well. He's had a couple of successful entries. Um, and so obviously that's a, it's good news, but I'm ultimately happy to see him back in, in some form of, uh, F1, F1 role. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, as we're probably, if you're following the formula one, um, the Australian Grand Prix has been moved to later in the season as COVID restrictions still, um, are very much in force. And, um, obviously as we've seen with the Australian open for the tennis, um, it's probably a, a smart move at this point in time, and um, I think it's a, a sensible move by Formula One. So it's been moved back, but we will open up in Bahrain again. So it's uh, if we look at the the stream of races, we had Bahrain, Bahrain, Abu Dhabi, and then we're back in Bahrain. Um, but you know, it's, it's proved Bahrain has been a, a bit of an interesting place to be for races. So I'm not necessarily. Uh, that upset about it and um we shouldn't be too far away we've had our first team confirm um that the the new or the reveal of the new livery but um i'm looking forward to the rest of them particularly uh alpine which is replacing renault and um yeah what are, what other teams are you looking forward to see? i want to see aston martin well mclaren did a really clever thing during the week and they released a picture of um the first chassis they're building with obviously their mercedes power plant yeah um and if it was if you look closely there was a little um qr code uh on it and if you were smart enough to actually manage to scan it it took you to a youtube clip of the famous man from down man from down under uh, video track with it, which is obviously a nod to their newest recruit, Daniel Ricciardo. So uh, that's pretty exciting to, uh, to see that, uh, you know, they're having a bit of a bit of comic relief there. Um, I'm extremely, very excited to see Aston uh, and their new livery um, as, you know, with going to that Aston color um, as we're possibly possibly seeing that, you know, the Aston or Aston Martin green, um, so that'll be quite interesting. But, you know, the other thing is that as well as Australia moving to November, um, they're now going to um, talk possibly that obviously Imola is going to be our second round, which is which is pretty cool. But then the third round, which was supposed to be China, they're talking about going to Portimao again. So I get it, we're getting yeah. to see a couple of more um, slots in the calendar that uh, will be interesting. The other rumour that's been floating is that Monte Carlo may be um, postponed or cancelled, mm-hmm. uh, which was an interesting rumour. But like the, the the people from behind the event came out and said, no, no, that's not the state case at this stage. Um, so yeah, a very interesting to see what happens. Um, you know, a lot of the other sort of more interesting events that we missed last year, for example, um, you know, Zandvoort in the Netherlands and then obviously Austin in the USA and Singapore, they're all still on the calendar at the moment. Um, so we're hoping that we won't see too much change, but, yeah. you know, 
who knows what we're going to see in the, in the coming weeks and months. Yeah, it's uh, well. Look, I'm I'm very excited. I love the uh, the calendar that we had last year. So anything that creates a bit more chaos and pushes it back in that direction, I I am on board. Um, but I think uh, I'll be I'll be excited to see. I'm I'm curious to see if we'll have. Um, you know, I want to see the performance of the McLaren. I want to see uh, racing or Aston Martin. Um, and see where with Lance Stroll and, and, and Sebastian Vettel where they can really sit. Um, so yeah, uh, there's a for for what is what could have been a, a really boring 2021 season with the same cars pretty much from from last year. Um, there's been just enough shuffling around and, and changes to to make it perhaps potentially quite quite interesting. Yeah, I think it'll be very interesting uh, in terms yeah. of what we what we see, and yeah, hopefully we get those changes they're talking about, and we don't see too much else uh, change in the in the in the future months to come. Absolutely. Okay, so supercars. Um, I don't know about you, but has I've never really got this impression, um, but it's perhaps because I don't follow it super closely. Um, but is is supercars? Boring. Do they need push the past, which they're you know, potentially could be coming? I don't know who's writing these rules for this Gen Three development, but there's been a bit of talk over it at the moment, and, and the fans have voted. They're not. A, they're not a fan. They don't think they need this push to pass. Um, the, which means that possibly if they're going down this way, they move away from. Um, stick shift and move to a paddle shift. Um, there's a few drivers being very vocal about it. Some are in favour of it, some aren't. Um, yeah. I, I don't think it really needs it. Um, I think instead of, you know, look, it, it, does it, are they going down this route because, you know, allowing for paddle shift makes it more cost effective, which means that, you know, the costing everything comes down. I think they're better off not break, changing something that's not really broken um, and working more around coming a more, you know, the Gen 3 is to be more... Uh, a more basic, well, not a more basic, but a more g generic chassis that everyone can yeah. use and make things easier. Um, so, yeah, I mean, paddle shift just loses that um, aggressiveness of the cars, having been in Carrera Cup cars that were paddle shift versus um, sequential shift and stuff like that. And I know the drivers prefer it, but it's just this far more you know, more fun driving a, a car, you know, that, that has a, a sequential or a, a stick shift than something that's paddle shift. So it's kind of a, a weird move. Um, but, yeah, it'll be very interesting to um, to follow and just to see where yeah. it sort of falls um, in the coming sort of, you know, coming time in terms of what's actually going to what's going to happen. So um, I think there's more sort of interest now with, you know, what they're trying to do with actually getting people to watch the sport than um, yeah. you know, what they're trying to do to make it more entertaining because obviously, you know, they've got a new deal with the, the free-to-air and, and um, pay TV yeah. and the talk that's come out this week is that um, Fox Sports um, streaming service KO is actually going to um, live stream free the Mount Panorama 500, which is our first round of the year um, from, yeah. from Bathurst. So, um, yeah, which has also, you know, caused a bit of an interesting 
discussion because um, Channel 7 is the free-to-air network and how does KO have the ability to stream something for free when they're supposed to be pay TV? So, Mm. um, yeah, that was an interesting story that sort of appeared uh, just today um, in terms of what's happening. Um, The other cool thing we've had come out this week as well is that Mark Larkham um, will return to the Supercars broadcast team. Um, It was talk that he wasn't going to be back and he had left and, and then there was a massive uproar from the fans and so... Uh, I believe uh, there's been a bit of a change around. Um, so yeah, yeah, I saw that quite a, quite a lot of the commentary team had been shuffled around, um, and uh, certainly a few people and team owners and and sponsors had had not been very happy with that um, either, or with the the shuffle that had gone on. So it's good to see someone like Larkham actually coming back. It's a, obviously welcome um, to have a familiar voice like that. Yeah, um, but we but we do have the so the Man Panorama season uh, or season opener starts on um, starts in February. We're, we're essentially a month away now, um, and it seems like finally the the season lineup is complete. The grid, uh, yeah, twenty twenty one. There um, are any, there are standouts. Oh yeah, there's a big standout. So we knew that Davy Reynolds was going to leave. Um, well, the thought was that he would be leaving Erebus. Um, and it was announced that he was leaving, but he wasn't then re-announced as appearing somewhere else. So uh, he has a popped up at Kelly Racing, which is now called Kelly Grove Racing. The Grove family, who is a name synonymous with um, Carrera Cup, um, endurance racing in Australia, um, the Grove family have bought into Kelly Racing. So it'll now be called the Kelly Grove Racing Team. Davey Reynolds has popped up there. Um, they're only going to run two cars um, this year, two Mustangs, and Davey Reynolds has not only appeared there, but Penwright have followed him across to um, Kelly Grove Racing. So, yeah, they released the new his new livery and his new look car, and apparently he's really, really happy to be there. And um, cool. it's great to see that the Groves are involved. So that's a really good sort of probably, you know, whether it be a cash injection or whatever it is from the Grove family, that's really exciting for Kelly Racing. Um, they've now obviously got Andre and Dave alongside uh, him, um, which is which is good. Um, Erebus have obviously had already confirmed that Will Brown and Brody Kosecki were going to be there. Um, yeah. DGR had already been announced as Anton and Will Davidson. Brad Joan Racing is running four cars per cat, uh, Todd Hazelwood, Macaulay Jones and Jack Smith. Um, so Todd's moved across from Matt Stone Racing. Uh, Matt Stone Racing are now running Zane, Kazek- Zane Kostecki and Zane, uh, sorry, Jay Kostecki and Zane Goddard. Team 18 is unchanged with Mark Winterbottom and Scott Pye. Team Sydney, who we were waiting to see what was happening there, have had announced that Fabian Coulthard was their one driver. So that okay. then meant who was going to, to miss out there. And so Gary Jacobson, um, who uh, is now signed to race for them. So unfortunately, Chris Pither has missed out on a on a ride at, at Team Sydney and so has... Um, uh, Alex Davidson as well, which is which is sad to see, but um, Chris Pither is looking for a new opportunity. And then the other change that we had is that Tickford couldn't um, secure a fourth rec uh, license to run, so they're at three cars. So they're running Cam Waters, Jack LeBrock, and James Courtney, which means that Lee uh, Holdsworth has lost out of a drive, but Lee has then turned around and gone across to TCR um, and has been blazing them in the alpha uh, that he is now racing for Ash Selwood Motorsport. So he had a blinder race today um, and has seemed to have found he's uh, never driven a front-wheel drive car, never never driven a um, 
what was it? Something else he mentioned. But yeah, this is all all, all new for him, um, and he's done absolutely sensational. So you know, he's found a, a really good home over there. Um, Tim Blanchard Racing announced that Tim Slay will drive for them um, in a Mustang, um, which was um, which is Courtney's ex car from last year. So another Mustang joins the grid. Triple Eight are unchanged with uh, Jamie Wincup and Shane Van Gisberg, and then Walkinshaw and Andretti United are still have Chaz and Bryce uh, together. So yeah, it's an interesting lineup. A few last minute changes and stuff, um, but it should be a very interesting season, I think. With um, yeah. The reigning champion not coming back to this to um, defend, which is Scotty McLaughlin, who's heading across to um, IndyCar. Yeah, yeah, and he's been busy. I've been following him on social, and he's been busy in this simulator, learning new tracks and uh, uh, discovering his new um, new sports over there. He's you know he's been a, a, a fan of Aussie rules and stuff for the for for, for part in the past, but he's now a um, NFL um, follower yeah, and yeah. stuff like that. But I did see that he was up uh, today watching the guys from TCR running around as well. So, um, yeah, it should be a very interesting season with um, what we're seeing and, and the lineup. I'm intrigued to see how Fabian goes at Team Sydney. Very mm. interested to see how um, Anton and Will go at DJR. Um, and then, yeah, Davey at Kelly Racing. So, yeah, I'm uh, looking forward to it. And then, obviously, with the Grand Prix changing as well, um, we then mean, and it always was rumoured to be a to be a possibility if the Grand Prix did shift. So Sandown will be back for a two-day sprint round. Um, won't be the same weekend. It'll be uh, March 20 to 21. Um, and so that will be... Yeah, we'll be at Sandown. So that'll be pretty cool. So for the Sandown Victorian fans, um, you will be able to see the supercars in Melbourne. Not not quite like watching them at the Grand Prix, but you will be able to go along to Sandown to watch them um, and all things accordingly. The the numbers will hopefully be fairly dis- decent to in terms of what they'll allow in each day for a crowd. So, yeah, mm-hmm. it'll be an interesting start. Um uh, with the uh, you know with the preseason test, so the preseason test was supposed to be at Sydney Motorsport Park, but that has now been changed, and uh, the Victorian teams will then to test in Winton in mid Feb, um, and um, the Queensland teams, including Team Sydney, will test at Queensland Raceway um, a couple of days later, um, and then obviously we head to Bathurst at the end of Feb, um, and then into. Um, uh, sand down, you know, uh, at the towards the end of March. So yeah, it should be uh, an interesting start to the season. Um, a little bit of a change to what everyone was expecting, um, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's you know, we're happening. We're going. Very tempted to try and get up to Bathurst, possibly just to maybe even try and watch one day of racing up there as a sprint round. Um, but escape you know. from Victoria. Yeah, if we're, <laughs> well, you know, if we're allowed back in at the moment, we have yeah. to have you have to have a permit to uh, to come back into this state. So let's see what the next couple of weeks bring. Yeah. Oh well, fingers fingers crossed. It'll be it's, uh, it's always great to pop out to a supercars event. Mm. And um, if it's not Bathurst, it. it probably will be Sandown, hopefully. Yeah, and uh, don't forget your earplugs. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's a it's an event. I did it once and <laughs> ended up uh, yeah walking with my ears, uh, fingers in my ears for the rest of the day. It was a uh, hunting down a pair. <laughs> 
All right, so some general motorsport, and then we'll jump into some local news. Um, it's been a great week for women in motorsports. We had a lot of things to confirm, um, you know, some great entrance into some big um, big events. So, our, you know, a lot of us will be uh, familiar to the name of Simona de Silvestro. Um, so she is... Um, been uh, basically got permission from Porsche um, to to go and participate um, with Pareto Autosport and for the Indy 500. Um, so that's going to be a, a great thing um, to you know to experience. Um, great opportunity for her. So she's obviously been uh, been doing supercars, moved, moved to in a support role, I think, um, in Formula E, and um, yeah, having another go in the IndyCar series. So that's um, yeah, that's fantastic to to have, and it should be a wonderful experience for her i think it could be her best chance to win it uh the team and everything that she's looking at i think it's uh it's quite uh quite good and it could be quite interesting so you know she'll be be very good very good to watch uh and mm. see and see what happens but yeah it's great to see that she's running uh she'll be running at indy yeah and it, and with the team it's a it's a female fronted team uh led, led by beth Peretta. Um, you know, she's led multiple racing programs as well, but also, you know, they're sharing a technical alliance with Team Penske, um, obviously one of the biggest players in in Indy and in a number of different uh, motorsport uh, categories around the world. So, yeah, it's um, it's a like you said, it's a really fantastic opportunity to to give a, a you know, hopefully, you know, challenge for the winner or at least uh, for a fantastic finishing uh, position. Yeah, that's really good. And then uh, more great news, Catherine Legg, um, who was previously IndyCar or Champ Car, and Christina Nelson would team up for the Rolex 24-hour, um, which is great to see. And then there is also um, a team called the Iron Dames, um, which is going to be running in the GTM series in the Oh, can't speak in the European Le Mans, Le Mans series. Um, they'll be doing the World Endurance Championship um, in the number 85 Ferrari 488. Um, and the three girls that make up Iron Dames are Rahel Free, Emmanuel Gostetta, and Michelle Gatting. Um, so that's really cool to see. And then continuing with WEC, um, is there's another all female lineup in LMP2. Um, the brilliant Sophia Floresh, Tata Kade, and oh, I'm going to tr- try and not Paseki Vizier. Um, so they be running for Richard Milley Racing, um, and yeah, they'll be running in WEC. So that's pretty cool to see. Um, and yeah, it's it's exciting, exciting stuff in 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 that respect. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, then we've got things like uh, Formula Four um, is covering the entrance fees for for women. So that's uh, the Formula Regional Americas in the United States Formula Four. Um, yeah, they've launched that scholarship to cover that to allow um, and um, essentially encourage entrance into you know that that open more series. Um, you've got Gracie Trotter taking on NASCAR feeder series, so that's another way to sort of you know pathway to get in. Um, yeah, it's a it's a great thing, and then it'll be interesting to see as well. You know, the W series that's supporting Formula One races um, normally yeah. um, on free to air, and um, even on um, different broadcasts, ESPN um, over in the states. 
they don't show the supporting races and um, it'd actually be one that I'd be interested in in, in seeing or, or trying to track down just to see how how it goes and um, to, to yeah, see what, what the cars are like what, what they uh, like to, to race absolutely yeah and we've got to thank the wonderful Elizabeth Blackstock from Jalopnik for that wonderful um, article we have quoted there she has done a wonderful uh, write-up of all this wonderful news and all in one place so um, if you're not following Elizabeth, um, you should. She's a very talented writer and writes some really cool stuff um, over at Jalopnik and, uh, and other stuff. And I think she's working on a book from memory as well, I think, which mm. should be interesting when that uh, when that finally comes out. So keep an eye out for that if, uh, yeah. Yeah, if I'm correct. So, yeah, so that's uh, some interesting wrap-up. Uh, the other big thing we have to talk about is Dakar. Um, which was mm-hmm. run at um, in Saudi Arabia this year, um, where previously it had been run in South America, um, and yeah, it was an interesting event. Um, Mister Mister Dakar, as he's called, Stefan Petterhansel, took out his fourteenth record win, um, and but that's not all in cars. He's only won it eight times in cars. The rest were in um, bikes. Um, and so, yeah, he's a very, very talented driver. Um, yeah, so that was – it was very – Run it in a Mini, which doesn't look like a Mini. No, uh, it's but called it's an, off, it's an <laughs> off-road buggy. It has Mini on the front, and it's supposed to look like a bit like it on the on the front end. Um, he was followed up by Nazar Al- Al-Tiha in a Toyota and then Carlos Sainz in another Mini. Um, and so, and that's yeah. Carlos Sainz Sr., not Junior. Not junior, yes. <laughs> Um, and so, yeah, that was quite interesting. But our, unfortunately, the uh, the Aussie that we were all um, following, um, you know, unfortunately, Toby Price crashed out early. Um, and, yeah, it was, it was sad to see him out early in the race. He had some rough luck um, but had kept going and was still – was still in it, and then yeah, he crashed out and, uh, mm. and injured himself badly. Unfortunately, he's okay, but you know, obviously, he's got to have some surgery. Um, he broke his collarbone when he went off the bike, um, but you know, he's okay. Um, they unfortunately did have um, a death in this year's event, so um, but a lot of these riders know what they're getting into uh, at this event. It is quite brutal, um, but yeah, it's always sad when they uh, when they report on that at, at, during the event. So that was uh, that was pretty pretty big. Um, so I must... is, is Stefan's? He's done. He's done bikes. He's done cars. He's going to be doing the trucks next. No, no. I think <laughs> I don't know. Maybe if he ever decides to retire, which I can't ever see Peter Hansel do, I think he'll want to keep going as long as he can. Look, he might move to trucks, but I don't think so. I think he 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 cut his teeth on on the bikes and then moved to cars. So um, I think he he relishes the challenge. So I think um, for any brand that wants to get into Dakar and, and would could lure him away from Mini. I think uh, he'd be a good driver to help develop uh, whatever vehicle they want to run. Um, but yeah, I think uh, in terms of what um, he has achieved, I, I can't see him you know going away from from cars in the not too distant future. No. So next up, um, and so this has probably been for me one of the more confusing changes. So um, for the um, World Endurance Championship. So they changed the the top um, entry from the Le Mans prototype, so LMP1, and they've changed it. They renamed it to the hypercar um, category. And if you think about 
hypercar. You're going to think of um, the the AMG Project One, the Aston Martin Valkyrie, uh, the what else could we say? The um, uh, the Ferrari, La Ferrari, even. Um, but obviously, people have a few different meanings of hypercar. Um, because essentially, and, and Toyota have shown off, you know, they've taken off the covers of their their entry for the 2021 World Endurance Championship, which is part of the hypercar entrance. And it basically looks like a baby LMP1 vehicle. It basically looks like an evolution of that. But what the most interesting part is, is that they're going to have to make a road-going version of it. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to see what this Toyota road, uh, road-going LMP1 type vehicle is going to look like. And, and it makes me wonder... If we if we jump back uh, to when we were talking about the unseen prototypes from uh, from Porsche, they made a road going version or road going concept of their LMP1 car. So um, could Porsche be onto something? And uh, we just didn't know it at that point. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, the other thing is is that we already know that Glickenhaus, you know, who is entering, he already has road cars, and he sort of kind of built those first, and then decided that he would enter this this hypercar class. Um, so we know that you know GR are coming out with their their road going supercar hypercar thing that will be based off this GRO GRO ten um, car. Um, but yeah, you know the other thing is is that this is the first year of it. Um, Peugeot Sports coming in next year, um, and Porsche and Audi will come later. So yeah, the interesting thing is is that the flow on effect from from that should be quite interesting. Um, but yeah, the fact that sort of LMP one is kind of um, sort of finished, uh, and now we just have this new hypercar class, which is good because. You know, it's a shame that Aston didn't get further involved with what they were doing, um, and it would be would have been great to see them project progress with the Valkyrie and stuff like that. But it just it just hasn't happened, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, still, you know, LMP two is going to be strong, and then the, the LMGTE Pro and LMGTE M. Um, so you know, but there are brands that are dropping out of that. Aston's now dropped out of that. Um, so Fritz Ferrari and Porsche going head to head. Uh, in those classes, um, you know, so it, it's a shame to see that they, the factory won't be running, but there will be some people running in the AM class, which will be uh, effectively customer cars of Aston. So, yeah, I think um, the next couple of years of, of WEC, uh, as it's affectionately known, mm. uh, World Endurance Championship shortened to WEC, uh, I think it certainly is interesting to see. And then obviously, like you say, Ash, what, you know, road-going cars that will come from that. Yeah, because I'm sure there'll be a market for it. There'll be somebody wanting to buy these, but um, with with every entrant needing to to do it, um, yeah, it's going to be going to be interesting. It's kind of I wish that we got back to the GT1 days um, where manufacturers seem to be quite keen. We saw, you know, obviously the most famous one would be things like the the 911 GT1, um, which had road going versions. We had the Mercedes CLK GTR as well. Um, I think, and I think when reading comments online, I think a few people were, were hoping that that was going to be the direction of which they were going in, you know, that sort of that return to the, the 90s, early 2000s kind of crazy GT1 cars. But, um, but yeah, it's going to be interesting to see and um, it's going to be interesting to see how these cars operate, obviously, um, at a 
at, at a different level, but obviously they're aiming for still extreme performance, um, but with the the hypercar label. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll see how it goes. But and then to wrap up um, our motorsport news, we've got Super Cheap Auto um, taking on the TCR Australia naming rights, and I think. It's probably a, a good bounce back from losing Bathurst um, as a as a as a key sponsorship for them, and uh, it's probably you know the right move because CCR Australia seems to be rapidly growing in terms of excitement and coverage, and um, you know we're, we're talking about it almost every week in the last year, and uh, yeah, I think it's probably going to be one of those ones where Superchip walks out with uh, being a pretty clever strategic. You know, for them, it's a good strategic move. Oh, it's a massive move for them. It's really, really smart. They're pushing it already. I watched the coverage today, um, which wasn't televised all day on TV, but it was covered on the 7 Plus app by yeah. Channel 7 have. And that was the coverage was absolutely brilliant, I've got to say. Um, it was funny watching something where it was effectively uh, a live streaming coverage where, you know, you didn't have a lot of ads, but it was the main sponsors of the championship that, that had the ad breaks, not long, long ad breaks, but there was a lot mm. of sort of downtime and you, you weren't missing any coverage because they had wide wide camera angles and stuff like that. So you could still see what was going on. You didn't really feel like you were missing anything. Right, um, so yeah. that was really good. So I'm keen to watch it again tomorrow. But obviously we had, you know, the TCR race today. We had um, Trans Am series. We had S5000 um touring car masters those races were all really really good today to watch um it really seems to be this seems i haven't caught up exactly whether there's been any changes and technical changes between a couple of cars but there really seemed to be a a massive change of um competitive competitiveness between a couple of the models today the alphas are all really strong today as well as the Audis um you know the Hondas and the Hyundai's were struggling a little bit um but yeah it's a it's a new it's a new season with a couple of new drivers um and a few changes and stuff like that um they're obviously racing in Tassie they they don't have a full field there are a couple of cars missing but yeah it should be uh it should be very interesting to watch so I'm looking forward to tuning in tomorrow being Tuesday um uh, as we're recording this on on a Monday night so by the time you uh probably listen to this it would have already been been it happened but uh yeah check out the highlights if you didn't get a chance to watch it but yeah i'm excited for the for the season i'm really intrigued to see what super cheap do with their activations and what mm-hmm. they do for their um in stores and stuff like that and i really think that they'll push quite strongly for it because i think they were at the end of the day the way that they're showing it in the media is they were pretty hurt with the way the deal was done with um supercars and and i think they will probably yeah. build and i think they'll bring a lot of people into tcr as a result of this sponsorship yeah absolutely and it's something that i'm i'm excited to to see more as they do get more coverage as well it's kind of like i imagine it's like uh, the bathurst 12 hour eventually um you know that that broadcasting will will expand further but okay local news we're going to start we're going to break it up a little bit differently um this time so we're going to talk about uh the evs first and then we're going to talk about uh, internal combustion but we're still going to move through these um with a with a bit of pace so first up um, the Jeep 4xe Wrangler, um, or sorry, yeah, the, the Grand Cherokee, um, is coming in. So it is the, the plug-in Grand Cherokee. We won't be getting the wagon here, though, which is a bit upsetting. Um, but, yeah, so the diesel's gone and, um, you know, the plug-in's here. So that it's a great-looking car and, um, yeah, pretty exciting news. 
Yeah, it's really, really cool to see them talking about that. It's a shame about the Wagoneer, but we kind of thought that that wasn't going to happen. But the fact they're talking hybrid, we know the hybrid market is strong in Australia. So I think that um, is, you know, is, is good news. I think there'll be a lot that probably people that might miss the diesel. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, if you are convinced that you can go for a, for a hybrid, I think you'll uh, you'll be happy with the, the end result. Yeah. So, and obviously, the um, we're not clear of both. Um, there will be two naturally aspirated petrol engines as well. So don't don't fret that you're not gonna um, not gonna miss out. We just don't know if it's going to be the V6 or a V8 um, in those. But yeah, we'll see what's going on and whether yeah the um, the SRT and the Trackhawk flagships, um, which are known, have just been absolutely mental but well valued. Um, options uh we'll be getting a follow-up so we'll see we'll see how that goes I, I i have a feeling the srt at the very least will will get a follow-up given that you know that's probably these days in newer models that's what i tend to see more often or i tend to hear it first and then i see it um so i wouldn't be surprised if jeep australia would want to bring bring back that you know what is seems to be a fairly well-selling model um in their lineup but yeah that's pretty exciting um it's a the new the new grand cherokee looks fantastic so I'm, I'm looking forward to even just seeing it in any form uh to come but next moving on to the uh the new south wales police police force so they're adding a new hybrid um or new electric vehicle sorry to their to the fleet um as part in a community role um for for 12 months and that's a hyundai kona ev um so it won't be a, a full-on police car but it'll be one of those ones that goes around to community events and um you know it's designed to to create awareness and obviously engage with the community like what um like what the name probably says um but yeah so it will be the new 2021 kona ev i have se- have seen one floating around here um, up in Queensland. So I do have to talk to Hyundai and see if we can get into that. But yeah, so they'll be using, um, you know, they'll be having a, a full-on uh, high-speed charger in the in the, in the in the car park of the, the Penrith Police Station. So it should, should mean, um, unlike some other special vehicles I've had in their, in their fleet in New South Wales, they shouldn't have an, uh, much of a chance to put the wrong fuel in to, and destroy the engine, um, like what they've done with a few <laughs> Fords, FPVs and Holdens. Um, when they're running specific tunes, but um, but yeah, they should be able to get some pretty good, pretty pretty good mileage on it, given it's got a you know that 450 kilometer range um, in it. So it's and it's a great way, um, you know. Obviously, it's another means of uh, the police force evaluating your vehicle um, as well. Yeah, it's uh, it's exciting to see, and it's good to see them doing that, and for community involvement as well. I think that's it's pretty. Exciting to see what um, they're going to do, and to see to share the the fact that you know Hyundai have got these models as well. Yeah, absolutely, and um, yeah, I think it's whenever they do these, uh, it's usually an arrangement with the uh, with the manufacturer. So, like when they have Porsches and BMWs and things like that, it doesn't actually come at a cost to the the police force um, for for the vehicle itself. So, yeah, it's a it's a good thing to have. Um, so, Honda. Uh, they're re- revealing they've teased a new HRV, and um, you know it's going to be coming with a new hybrid uh, drivetrain. Um, something which you know I think makes sense. Honda, um, this is all part of the reason why Honda pulled out of Formula One um, because they wanted to focus on their new strategy, and uh, they didn't see the uh, 
the the Formula One engines helping with that. So it's uh, it's good that they've started to bring more hybrid models out, starting with uh, with the HRV, because you know they were for quite a while a, a pretty good leader in hybrids um, for quite a long time, and then it sort of didn't really have much more. So yeah, it's uh, it should be joining the CRV hybrid with two electric motors um, with a fixed gear transmission, and um, yeah, I'd be curious to see what it looks like. But I think uh, we should get more information on February eighteen. It's exciting to see. I think um, Honda have obviously watched how much success that Toyota have had with the RAV, um, with the hybrid. Yeah, exactly. I think, I think uh, for the market here, um, and particularly that HRV model, I think this is a really, really good choice for them and could do uh, could do very well here for them in the, in that market or this market here in Oz. Yeah, absolutely. Um, another one that this is probably a bit of an interesting one, um, but designed specifically for for use in the mines here in Oz, um, is a 70 series Land Cruiser um, going electric. So yeah, it's a it looks like a good old diesel using <laughs> 70 series, but it's got a big old battery and um, electric motors in it. Um, it's a very interesting project. I'm pretty excited about this because actually these are my images that you actually are looking on this point. Ah, so I was involved in the, the photography for the, around yeah. this model. And yeah, it's it's a really interesting project that, that BHP uh, have got involved with um, with Toyota with this and literally pulling out everything to do with the, the traditional driveline and putting in this full electric system that, um, you know, has the 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 capability to give them the range that it does um it's not a huge range uh it is limited to um depending on the on the battery pack but um the ability of what of it of it and what it can do uh, it's interesting that um the article that you're referring to in our show notes um doesn't show it but it is fully ability has the ability to actually go through water as well mm-hmm. um the way that the system is designed um it is uh, you know it, the, the unit is sealed and, and waterproof, um, and you know it's 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 very interesting to see what what they've done. Um, it's designed to be used in you know some of their mines in in WA, um, and you know it, it's it's allowing them to use it fully underground with no emissions whatsoever, um, and has the ability to to really allow them to to. To not have any issues on the ground with basically having the battery system, um, you know, it makes it it makes it much easier for them to to use it. And and as they say, it's a step towards their zero emissions future. So yeah, yeah and I think and I think that's the the important thing is that where it's going, it it makes sense to be using an electric vehicle. Um, And even with the range, I'm not too, look, I don't know how many kilometers a a person or, you know, a vehicle will have, you know, will be used for each day. But I'm sure if it's been done in conjunction with BHP, they've actually looked at that and have made it that, well, Uh we we know the data that they travel X amount of kilometers um, in the mine. And, um, you know, if they have the right charging capability, well, you know, in between, with downtime, they should be able to have the, those vehicles charged and then ready to go when they're needed again. Mm. That's why. That's what I assume, given that you know if they've worked on that together. Yeah, and I think the the thing is with it is it's designed to work around their system. So they've obviously worked together. Obviously, with the the signage on the unit, it is in conjunction with BHP, and, and it's being designed to to work um, yeah. together with it. But as the release said, there's more information coming in in you know in future months. But uh, yeah, it's a it's an interesting project. Um, 
you're looking at it, you wouldn't think that it's any other different to a normal LC70 series, but um, except for that, you know, EV signage and and the uh, charge point on the uh, on the front fender as well. So, yeah, well, it's um, and then one, you know, probably not too surprised to see, but Bentley, um, they've done a bit more of a preview of their first uh, plug-in hybrid luxury vehicle, um, in the Bentayga, and uh, yeah, so it trades the. The V8 engine um, and substitutes it with a with a petrol electric plug-in hybrid powertrain, which is using a V6 engine. Um, but yeah, so we expect it to remain fairly similar to you know to the motor uh, or to the to the lineup that it currently has. Um, but yeah, it's a 450-ish, 440 horsepower. Um, total power output and uh, i think it's probably going to be have it's going to be one of these things where you know with 130 horsepower electric motor um it starts it defaults into ev drive mode on startup and so you know it's kind of that's the point where it makes a bit of a difference with um with these sort of ultra luxury vehicles is that you know that silent turn on and and roll away from from wherever you are the hotel the house or whatever um, and that sort of adds a, adds a touch of class. That's everything that even, you know, Rolls-Royce, you know, everybody strives to make, you know, these luxury cars to be as super quiet as possible. And, you know, there's no easier way than making it electric. Yeah, it's an interesting move by, by Bentley. And I reckon it'll be, um, I think it's a good step for them. I think in terms of what, I think a lot of people that'll buy it probably will won't buy a hybrid but i think there's potential for a lot of people that that like the idea of it um and you know want to be a bit more conscious in their purchase and, and not you know not buying the v8 um so they mm. want to go you know they like the idea of having the v6 with the hybrid system um so yeah and the fact that you know it starts starts in hybrid mode from startup you know for for driving around and stuff like that the quietness and stuff like and things like that. I think that is certainly interesting. So yeah, um, I wonder if it'll come here. That'll be the interesting thing. I think whether it whether it lands in Oz. So yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see it here down under. We tend to get, you know, particularly if it's going to be at a slightly cheaper price point. I think we'll definitely get it. Um, but yeah, it just depends on what, you know, what model they sacrifice to to bring it here if they do. Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay, so internal combustion engine. So let's move across to the more traditional landscape. Uh, so first one, and this is an interesting one. I, I saw the car in the just arriving when doing a car swap over before the press release went out. I'm like, what on earth is that? You actually um, noticed that before the press release out, there was actually advertising on TV for it. Oh, really? I yeah, I didn't see that then. I completely missed. It, I got the so. release in my inbox and saw that there was an embargo, and obviously there's an embargo, so we stuck to the embargo before talking about it. But there was a TV ads on. But then, the funny thing I did notice was that there was a release that came out from Kia that said that the embargo was still in place. So whether there's been a there was an issue somewhere or something, but um, yeah, it uh, it was interesting that there were TV adverts on before the the model was actually i think there was driving bargos as well so they may have been so they've driven it driven it early but um yeah it's quite interesting we've now got a another rival for the cx3 and the chr and the venue and it's a good looking thing i actually like the the front end it's a it's effectively a, a rio um on a larger um 
raised running yeah. platform. I saw, I saw the one that we had up here is in yellow, and I wasn't. I don't think it really worked in the yellow. I I I, I appreciate it being in a bright color. I think it um, more press cars in particular when you know they're getting a lot of photography and things like that really need to be in a bright bright color. It makes all the difference. Um, but I don't think it really works in yellow. I'm seeing, I'm looking at this article um, where they've got the photos, which are in the blue, and um, I think it looks quite nice with the with the silver highlights on the front bar and the dark roof. Mm. Um, I think it looks looks quite good, and um, I, th- I think in the GT, I would love to have seen a dark roof liner. Um, yeah. Just to sort of, I know that they do it to make it feel a lot more airy, but in a car like that. I'd rather feel, you know, sort of tucked in and, and a bit sportier with that. Um, but yeah, I think I think you know it, it looks much better than it does in than than I saw it in the yellow. Um, but I just it's it's an increasingly competitive area. Um, at least for pricing, it it seems to be hitting the right market. Twenty one four ninety for the entry level S, what they call Stonic S, um, and that isn't a manual. So that is, um, you know, it's again another welcome thing. For somebody Kia who- love Kia love doing manuals in their entry points, and it's so good to see they did it on Serato as well. Um, yeah. And I think that's such a good thing for you know for people that want to buy their first car that may want to. Buy a manual vehicle, um, you know. It's good. Again, these are in that right great starting point for someone that, that that's starting out getting a license, want to learn manual. They like the ability of being able to change gears themselves and, and stuff like that. I think that's such a good thing that 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 Kia still does this with, you know, their model range. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's yeah, and it really, um, you know, even being at N Festival where at the moment all N vehicles are only available in a manual. And um, I was, I was just commenting to somebody else going, see, this is the advantage of learning how to drive a manual. Like, even if you never drive a manual every day um, as part of your car. But, you know, when you are getting your license, you you want to be able to have a, an option to get a manual and they're increasingly hard to find. And there's only a handful of um, entry-level vehicles now that still offer it. And, and we call it out every time when we do, you know, have a look at these news pieces come through that when they do offer it because, yeah, it is... Yeah, it's a, it is a shame that you don't really get it in the top end models if you are wanting to get a few of those nicer creature comforts. But um, certainly, you know, at least for for here with Kia, the the entry level and the mid spec are available in manual. And if you do want the uh, the the automatic equipped version, it is an extra fifteen hundred dollars, which sort of is in line. Um, but then, yeah, the 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 Top of the line turbocharged GT model um, is at twenty nine nine ninety, um, including your on road. So, yeah, it's a one point four liter um, four cylinder engine. Um, so that's the one that, like you said, is shared with the Kia Rio, and um, yeah, is a six speed manual, six speed auto, and um, yeah, you get all of your features: um, eight inch central touchscreen with Android Auto and Apple CarPlay, multiple Bluetooth devices. Um, and then you ser- then your safety features such as autonomous braking with pedestrian and cycling protection, reverse cameras, uh, lane keeping assist, lane following assist, um, as well as DS. Um, you do have the option for wireless Apple CarPlay. Um, but they are saying that the interesting thing is is that wireless CarPlay is is not available in the mid spec and the top spec because of the built-in nav that is used by some you know that is obviously built by somebody else because uh, it's got that nav built in. But having driven the Rio GT, which did have um, wireless CarPlay, I 
it was the first time I, I wasn't actually a big fan of it because I had um, some frequent dropouts, um, which was, you know, that can be sometimes down to the phone, but still it's, it's frustrating nonetheless. And there wasn't the option to fall back and use the USB cable. Um, so in a car that doesn't have wireless charging, if you still have to plug the cable in, it might as well default and go back through the cable, um, which is obviously a lot more of a solid connection than using it wirelessly. Um, so with wireless CarPlay not being in the Sport and the GT line, I'm, I wouldn't necessarily complain. It's not really a big deal. Um, but, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a quirk when, when you've got with these, you know, the infotainment systems and, and who they're building, you know, who's building them um, as to how, you know, they have that compatibility. It's a bit of a bit of an odd thing. So we go from uh, we go from a small SUV to a people carrier. Yeah. So this is what we mentioned with, um, you know, with our listener question. So Honda have made a bid you know, a bit of a big change for the Odyssey. So the Odyssey was, you know, perhaps not as big as um, the the Kit Carnival and things like that. So it had all the seats, but not necessarily the the space. And um, even just looking at the photos, you can see that they've probably taken notes on what Kia, um, yeah, what Kia have done with the Carnival and said, hang on, we don't want to be overdone. You know, we, we don't want to be outdone here. And um, have, have it's a pretty big uh, design overhaul, don't you think? Yeah, it's nice. The lines are sharper. Again, it's kind of got a little bit of a, a US sort of design feel to it. Um, I really like the look on it. The Odyssey's always been a really good looking car uh, and, well, van, I suppose we, sh- we should really call it. Um, but yeah, uh, having been in the previous Gen 1, I actually really liked them and had driven had driven one. Um, yeah, I think it's it's quite nice. And the fact that they do the, the captain chairs for a second row, I think is, is really, really cool. Um, and yeah, I think the this new design uh, is you know is quite nice. Yeah, and and pricing so pricing seems to be pretty pretty good. Um, so it starts at forty four two fifty plus your on roads. Um, so it is a bit of a hike, but I think with all things considered, you do get um, you know some nice nice additions. You do get CarPlay and MDOT Auto across a you know infotainment screen, heated front seats, a lot of the upholstery, killer century, push button start, all pretty much all the usual things you expect. And um, so you've got 44250 for the entry level and then your higher spec, your VI LX7, um, which is, uh, yeah, so it's 51150. Um, yeah, so I think uh, the safety is probably the biggest thing um, that makes it big difference for the new model um so you get the addition of the honda sensing safety so that's everything from your full collision warning collision mitigating braking system lane departure warning lane keeping assist road departure um and adaptive cruise and uh you know rear cross traffic all that kind of thing so it does make a big step up it's kind of like what we've seen with a lot of the the dual cab utes as well um the previous odyssey had been more still nice was a bit old, you know, um, in terms of the generation of stuff that it had. So this is a nice, um, you know, pretty much a nice welcome addition and refresh for them. And um, particularly as Honda are going through their cycle, you know, their mix-up of, um, you know, how they're doing their retail distribution, it obviously makes a, it helps having a compelling product again <laughs> to move them. Yeah, it's interesting the... Um someone's made reference to 
the number of odysseys that uh, Honda sold last year, which was about 16% of the market, and the Carnival has about 50% of the market. Yeah. So interesting. So I wonder with this, you know, updated Odyssey, whether they may be able to peg some of that back um, from the market. But I'd be intrigued to see if you break that market down further, how many of those were going into, say, um, rental fleets yes. uh, and stuff like that, and how many of it were going to, to, you know, private buyers and stuff like that. But, yeah, hopefully uh, at some stage we'll be able to get behind the wheel of um, this new one uh, and put it up against the uh, the new Carnival as well. Mm. Mm, absolutely. Well, um, jumping up to big luxury sedans, uh, Lexus um, have revealed their new uh, flagship sedan, um, which is the LS, um, with pricing basically, you know, it, it shares the platform, if I'm not mistaken, with the LC, um, the coupe, and uh, hence the large sedan, large coupe kind of thing, luxury naming. Um, but yeah, both in um, petrol and hybrid F Sport variants, starting from 195,000, and the Sport Luxury variants from 201,000. Um, so not a huge percent in terms of you know Lexus have done a point to to go the increase of price is less than one percent, which is probably um, I can see why they're raising it because a lot of other particularly European manufacturers have increased their prices quite significantly um lately and uh so obviously it's it's kind of funny that they're raising the value proposition um uh, from a pricing point of view um for for this end of the market but i think the i'm, I'm loving the photos of what they're showing um of course it's got a whole heap of of great tech in there and um some you know some big 12 inch uh touch display in the middle but i'm just uh loving these photos that they've got um, in in the press release, yeah, they look uh, look pretty good. But it's interesting that the hybrid system's been improved as well as the the software for shifting to uh, allow for it to work even better with the hybrid system and be even smoother and quieter. Uh, you know, because this system is already pretty quiet, having mm. driven the the current gen LS five hundred. Um, and yeah, it's uh, you know there's a there's a few changes happening across the board. But yeah. To, to only have an increase by sort of one percent uh, is you know is pretty interesting um, you know to, to have that. But the other thing is that you will get um, membership into Lexus Encore Platinum um, pro program as well, which is great for you know for owners and, and things like that for what it enables you to do with you know travel options and shopping options and things like that mm. so, it does um, give you it, it is a limited number um even in the top tier of the program but you do get also a number of um uses for westfield uh, valet parking as well so if uh, it's probably worth saving those for christmas time yeah um if you're going shopping so you don't Definitely. have to fight um with the, i wouldn't just use it willy-nilly i would use i would save i think you get three or so when i looked at it when i was driving the lc um over christmas because i was wondering oh maybe could i could i register for it and, and save the parking fighting even during covid for for the car park but um yeah it was uh it's an, it's it's just a it's nice that they've kind of have this little perks program um and it does tier based on which uh which model so obviously if you're buying an is you're not going to be getting the same level of features as you do in the ls or lc um, but you still get some some nice benefits at each tier it's a good program as well that they offer for, for, for members 
Yeah, and um, so celebrating uh, the 25th anniversary of The Boxster, um, which, you know, is regarded by many as the, the car that saved the brand, um, is, and, it, and it's already reached 25 years old, is, um, you know, is marked obviously in, in traditional Porsche fashion by doing a anniversary edition. Um, so it's a 25 year model. It's limited to 1250 units worldwide. And it's based on the GTS 4.0 model, um, which is a fantastic engine. Um, it's a four liter six cylinder boxer engine. Um, so you're getting just under 300 kilowatts of power. And um, yeah, um, it, it's borrowing some classic design elements. It is priced um, accordingly, so it's at 100, you know, 183, 900 plus your on roads and things like that. But um, it's a it's a wonderful, beautiful spec that they've got um, that harkens back to a few of the key features that the first ever Boxster models came out with. The, the most notably, the front bar, the the alloy wheels, and um, some of the interior options as well and i think it's a it's a it's a nice classic way to to pay homage to to the history and the significance of the of the car and only 1250 units worldwide and it's available in manual and pdk yeah so yeah and uh, i assume that not too long after we'll we'll see a you know came a number of years after but we'll see a, a cayman 25th anniversary uh sooner or later as well quite possible um, yeah, but yeah, I'm I'm looking forward. Hopefully, uh, our local dealer gets one in for a customer um, at some point to to have a look at. We'd like to hopefully see. We might get a couple here in Oz. Yeah, I think I think uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we if we do. It's uh, we tend to love our anniversary and special edition Porsches. <laughs> um, so yeah, we'll <laughs> we'll see that for sure. Um, so Mazda uh, GTSP model for the Mazda Six range. Um, Particularly, most notably for you, would be the uh, the wagon getting the, uh, the the update or now being included in that GTSP Turbo. Um, so, if you're wanting that little bit more excitement and performance, uh, it seems like this is the one uh, one for you. Yeah, it's quite interesting. It's a good looking thing. The the wagon. Um, unfortunately, most of the current Gen ones were kind of a little bit higher in their price range when I was looking at them. So I <laughs> kind of went to look at, uh, didn't go and look at them. But yeah, the fact that they're now offering the SB Turbo um, available, which is the two and a half litre turbocharged, um, you know, it just, they're just taking that, that GT line that, that Mazda have done that, that little bit further up in terms of offering a few more um benefits and, and features over the, the previous gen models. Yeah. So, yeah, we're going to get a, a new color as well. So polymetal gray metallic finish. Um, so that's available across all, all models. Um, yeah, I'm trying to look for when we expect it. So pricing-wise for 2021, um, excluding on-road costs, so the GT, SP, sedan, and wagon, um, there's only about $1,400 difference between the two. So there's not much disincentive to, to jump to the wagon and – um, which is always a nice thing, but um, it sits just just below the top end model of the Atenza at forty six and forty seven nine ninety respectively. Um, so it's not a it's not a bad price uh, for for that. I, I would say that um, it definitely remains in the realm of reasonably affordable for what we're getting, and, and arguably way better value than a lot of SUVs. 
Yeah, it's good, it, and it's well priced across the board. So you, depending on whether you want to, you know, you want to start with the sport um, or go all out the way to the Atenza, um, you know, there's kind of a model everywhere within your price range, and, and you know, the the specs obviously change across them as you move through them. So yeah, um, yeah, it's certainly option to to look at both in obviously sedan or or wagon versions. Yeah, absolutely, and um, um, yeah, it's a. I've really been liking the the Master Six design lately, and um, you know it's sort of it's held its own very well over this time. But let's uh, let's have a look at the Subaru. So um, the new generation Outback range has been revealed and will be in showrooms from March. Um, so basically, it's a pretty much an almost all new direct injection uh, two and a half liter boxer engine. So you get more power, more torque, uh, which is obviously always a, a welcome thing. Uh, you get two ton towing capacity, which is actually pretty good for a, for a wagon of its type. Um, it still has a CVT, you know, constantly variable transmission, um, but it seems like it has an eight speed manual mode. So if you're wanting to, to have a little bit more control, that is always um, available to you. You, um, other things you do get are the latest generation EyeSight driver assist system. So that includes things such as your lane centering, autonomous emergency braking, speed sign recognition, prairie collision, as well as all of your usual um, usual players, your blind spot monitor, lane change assist, uh, reverse automatic braking, and um, yeah, the, the inclusion of a passenger seat cushion airbag. So basically pushes up uh, the front section of the seat, helping prevent the body movement from the waist. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, surprising starts from for the all wheel drive, of course, being a, being a Subaru starts from 39,990 and, um, yeah, pretty much comes with all the, all the features you'd expect, but just in a, you know, capable go anywhere attitude. Yeah, it's interesting that the um, the new mid-range Outback all-drive sport um, actually has water-repellent sport seat trim, which I think is mm. a, a very nice touch. Um, heated front seats, heated rear outboard seats, front view monitor and side view monitor. Um, and then I also noticed as well that, and it's something that was, was discussed on the off-road um, podcast that I jump on occasionally as well, um, with the guys from Off the Road again, we were talking about it the other day. Is that the Outback actually has roof rails with integrated stowable crossbars? So the bars that are actually built into the roof rails actually yeah. come across. So you get crossbars built into it, which is a really really nice touch. So that's only on the the range topping um, Outback um, all wheel drive touring. Um, but that's still, you know, a, a nice, a nice touch to to have on a on a on a car that, you know, you're buying this for the activity and stuff like that. It's kind of the perfect thing for it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think yeah, it's one of those things. It's, it's a, they know how to build a good car, and I just hope that people, uh, you know, go out and check it out. It's a, one of those things that for for if you're a relatively inactive person, it's a they tend to sort of tailor their cars to that sort of market. Um, and like what we said before, particularly if you live in Victoria and you occasionally head up to the snow or head to the beach, it sort of does all the things that you want in a, in a still fairly easy to handy, you know, handle car um, yeah. without needing huge space to, to navigate. And very versatile. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but talking huge, um, the Kia Carnival is here I've seen one. I haven't driven one yet. 
Um, looks different in person uh, than what I was expecting. It, it, um, I'm probably not a huge fan of the rear, but I oh, really? I'm liking the look of the front. Yeah, it's oh. just that that that. So across the rear, it's kind of like how the Porsche 911s have that that light bar, the, mm-hmm. the plastic bar across the back, and I think it's just a little bit too big. It creates this massive dis- disconnect, and it looks like um, you know, like the the, the 90s um, Dodge Caravans from the US that you see in the the you know the family movies of the time. Um, it just doesn't seem to pull off, and I don't know if it's because we the car that we have up here in Queensland at the moment is silver, and it probably doesn't hide any of the lines or any of the mass like a darker color, like in the hero color of that dark blue has. Um, but everything else looks very, you know, very impressive, very similar to you know all of the design language is just like what we've seen in the Sorento, um, so it's all very familiar in that. But yeah, you still get. Um, you know, the eight seats, the the huge amount of storage space in the back. And um, obviously, you know, the it's it's a massive seller. So I don't think it's going to be a, any surprise that it probably the sales, you know, the percentage of the, the market it takes up in the people mover category is going to, to stop at any point there. Um, and particularly with the, the pricing, you know, your your entry level S petrol auto starts at 50,390. 50, so very similar to the Odyssey. Um, but it goes all the way up. It does get quite expensive at the platinum diesel um, at 69,990 drive away. Um, but obviously that's that's the car we get every single feature that you could think of included um, with that. So if you're wanting to, to provide, you know, and we'll probably see more of that variant being used, you know, as, as higher cars and, and, you know, transport sort of vehicles rather than sort of family cars but yeah they've definitely offer a lot of different options and ranges with um let me run through it the the s the si the sli then you've got the petrol platinum and then you've got diesel variants as well yeah it's interesting uh to see like now that you've seen one, yeah, I'm intrigued to see what if you get a chance to to get in and actually drive one and see what it's like. Having driven the previous Gen One, I loved it. Um, I'm really keen to see one here. Um, yeah, and- yeah. I've been meaning to. I've got a few things to catch up on with Kia. Um, I've driven the entry level Sorento. Now I want all the sport. So now I want to drive the, the GT as well to compare that experience. Um, but yeah, the, the aggressive, like it looks really great, um, from the front. Uh, it is again, that American styling, um, that seems to have found its real stride here, um, in Oz, but yeah, it's just, a. I think I might need a bit more time, but I think the, the lines kind of get a little bit lost in the back. Um, but I'd be interested to see what, what other people think as well. You saw in silver. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I'd be interested to see if one if you saw one in one of like either the blue that's in the press release or, yeah. or another color to see what it's like. But um, yeah, and very intrigued to see what it uh, what it looks like. Um, but yeah, so we've also got uh, some pricing now on the new Navara, which we talked about um, before. Um, at the end of last year, so yeah, you know, giving us some actual pricing on the new model. So starting with the then the SL will start at thirty two, um, and then run through to the top Pro Four X, which is the one that they released at around sixty thousand. So um, with obviously an ST and STX um, uh, 
upgrades as well. And then obviously um, the SL, which is the, the cab chassis, um, is only a 4x2 manual. The rest from ST up are all 4x4. Um, ST is only available in manual as well. And then the STX and the Pro 4X are both available in manual and auto, but as mm. both as a 4x4. So, um, yeah, they're due, I believe, in March. I think they were going to be hitting um, Aussie. Yeah, yeah, and anyway, I'm loving this uh, this Nissan Titan, so the the big American pickup styled nose as well um, on on the models that they've got that they're showing off. I think it just uh, suits the look very well, and I think um, updates the look just enough uh, for for people wanting to buy a dual cab ute. Obviously, not a huge amount has changed from what I'm aware underneath but the cosmetic update is a is a nice and welcome one yeah exactly and i think it'll be um it's been a good seller for them and i think it will continue but with this new look it'll be interesting to see what the the used market do with many guys are trading in their current gen to, to yeah to go for the new look um obviously you know they're talking um for the drive away prices that we've quoted are for abm buys um so mm-hmm. which is generally a little bit cheaper but it'll be interesting to see obviously the the tax advantage for instant asset write-off still runs for another six months um so yeah once these land there might be quite a few um i know that there's a lot of stock at the moment well, sorry a lot of models out there at the moment that are hard to get um you know the current um triton apparently is hard to get mm-hmm. um, and so you know if there's good stock of these navarros they could um take up a bit of a uh, a mar- better market share as a result yeah, absolutely. I think um, you know, as long as they, they they need to get the the servicing and the and the warranty right, um, which I think they've got that sorted now. Um, to really, I think for for a lot of business owners, that's the that's the consideration as well. Is is very much well. What's my ongoing cost? What um, you know? What am I going to be facing if something does go wrong? Um, and so that certainly helps with that down the line. But, yeah, loving the new look and, um, yeah, I expect to see quite a few on the road. There's quite a lot of passionate Navarro owners out there and, um, yeah, I don't think uh, it'll be hard to move those models on at all, particularly that they've got some of those more um, off-road lifestyle models available as well. Yeah, exactly. And now the the, the last of our sort of um, local news for uh, tonight, uh, which is which is another Americanized SUV. Santa Fe, and I actually saw one of these last week, and yeah, right. uh, it looks really, really good. Um, it, the the lines of it are, you know, we're unsure when you when you saw the first um, look at it with this new front end, but it really works. Um, mm. It looks fantastic. Um, it was. Um, uh, it was only a fleeting glance as it, as it went past, but um, it uh, yeah, it, it I really like it. The width, the width, the rims that are in the press release that they released, which are the quite large integrated spokes, um, were on this one and actually look really really good. And yeah, I think it's I think that they're on a winner with the design. Again, like you said, it's a it's an American design, um, but yeah, we're looking at. Um, 
where are we pricing on it will start at um you know around about that 40 grand price point running up to about 65 mm-hmm. depending on which spec you go um, yeah and the- it will probably create a little bit of confusion for a while because they've changed the the model lineup so it starts off with the santa, santa fe that's your entry level mm-hmm. then you've got the active elite and then the highlander but this is where it gets a little confusing so the santa fe for the 2021 model used to be called obviously the santa fe active and then your second you know then your your next step up was used to be called the santa fe active x but now it's just called the active which is what used to be the entry level model in the in the previous version so when it comes to car sales searches and online classifieds it's probably going to be a bit confusing for a little while um but yeah, I think it streamlines streamlines it a little bit. You've got uh, two wheel drive and all wheel drive version um, available, all with eight speed um, uh, transmissions. Um, the two wheel drives are all eight speed automatics, where with the all wheel drive are eight speed DCT transmissions. Um, but yeah, it's a good looking car. Yeah, and the servicing prices are pretty good, you know, for the intervals at um, over the month period between 12, 24, 36, and that, mm-hmm. you know, they're 400 bucks and 460 on the on the diesel. So um, it's pretty good, pretty good for, for the service and stuff. So um, I'm pretty sure they are in dealers now. Yeah, I think they are. Yeah, um, so I think they'll uh, do well. So again, to you know, we talked about it with our listener question. I think it'd be one to certainly have a look at as an option, um, and certainly go and drive it and crawl over and have a look because I think it'd be certainly a, a good buy. Yeah, because you do get things like such as third row air conditioning um, system, which obviously makes a difference if you've got people in the back and you want them to to be comfortable, <laughs> um, particularly in uh, in the Australian climate. So that's a that's a handy thing, and it's becoming more common um, with a lot of larger SUVs. But um, yeah, it's a it's another thing to to keep an eye out for. But okay, so there's no, we haven't had any new um, airbag. Uh, or ANCAP ratings uh, yet um, from from last year. With um, but as we get more, um, we'll keep you updated. But this week, um, this was a bit of an interesting one. So we normally jump on Bring a Trail, but this week we're going to be jumping on Lloyd's um, because of pe- a fairly special um, car is up for sale. It is a 2017 Holden HSV GTSR W1 Malu Ute. Um, so this is a pretty interesting car because it was one of four being built. It was a, almost like a Scout Works version of um, of the car, of a special sort of as a concluding the the construction or the the, the production of um, the the VF Commodores. Uh, four of these were built. This one, in particular, if I understand it right, was due to be crushed, um, as it was a um, essentially a prototype vehicle. Um, or it was originally, and um, but it was at a certain point that it allowed it to be to be registered, and um, they didn't crush it, and they, you know, has ended up being uh, being put up for for sale. So it is a monster car. So it's a six point two liter LS nine V eight um, supercharged. Um, it's got uh, where is the power? I was just looking at it. Um, I can't see it now. Where is it? Um, 
it's gone. Oh, there we go. 474 kilowatts of power and 815 uh, newton meters of um, of torque. So, yeah, that's uh, that's mental. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty amazing to see that you know these these were sold privately. They weren't ever really sort of offered, but the fact that it's now sitting at over a million dollars. Um, for for this vehicle it's you know it's already it's done 600k so yeah it's not brand brand new it's done it's done a few kilometers but um one of only ever four made but it's over a million dollars at the moment with four days left so um it's going to be an interesting thing to watch um and see where um it ends up uh, it's been sitting at a at a, over it's sat about a thousand and thirty one million and thirty five thousand for a while i think and it's just ticked over to one million forty thousand um in the it just in probably in the last couple of the last day or so because i've been sort of generally jumping on and having a look and see where it's at yeah so um yeah it's quite interesting uh in terms of of what of what it is but yeah it should be very interesting to watch as well yeah and the interesting thing is that these are pre-approved uh bidders as well so it's not just um someone jumping onto ebay and throwing in a nefarious bid these are all should be legitimate bids. So yeah, it's uh, and and the, and the probably the most uh, amusing thing is that the buyer's premium is seven point five percent. Yeah. So that's a million dollars plus your seven point five percent on top. Um. So as that climbs even higher, it uh, becomes even just the buyer's premium will get you a get you a a vehicle and a half. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Okay. So, and and then we'll uh, get back into. Well, we should be able to follow up uh, next week with uh, with the result from that from that uh, now, from that auction. Yeah. All things going calling. We should have a result for next next week. Yeah. Okay. So let's jump overseas. Um, whilst we can't fly overseas, we can certainly bring you news from overseas. Um, and. We're getting closer and closer to seeing, uh, I guess, probably a proper reveal of the Hyundai Santa Cruz, which is um, the the pickup truck or Ute, as we call it, um, that Hyundai building. And it started off with a the concept quite a number of years ago, and um, we've seen body shells being lifted um, near factories and things like that. But now, um, an eagle-eyed person uh, or curious person, really. Uh, in the US has stumbled across uh, an actual rolling test mule out on the road. Yeah, it's quite interesting. It um, it was actually spotted by a car nut, um, an 18 year old car nut at a um, ski resort uh, in the US. And um, yeah, he's um, got some, uh, he posted some photos and also obviously a, vi- a quick walk around video of it. And um, yeah, it looks to be an interesting size of it um, in terms of what it is. So yeah. Um, they're running it up a couple of a, a variety against um, some other Hyundai models and also a, a Honda SUV by the looks of it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's it looks interesting. It's going to be the the tray doesn't look massive on it, um, but I still no. think it, it'll be an interesting model for us to um, to see. I, I see this. I see this as a lifestyle truck. I, I yeah. don't think they're going after um, the the same type of people that are going out and buying a, a Hilux. I think Hyundai could be being quite clever in, in, in saying that not everybody wants that. Um, and I, and I, if they can bring good enough towing capacity to that, I could see people taking this on, on road 
road trips to places. Yeah. As long as it comes out in the right time when people are doing a lot more road trips, this could be uh, an interesting vehicle to see around um, if uh, if obviously it makes it to production because there's no guarantee that it will make it to production or even if we'll see it down under. Um, but the fact that it's got this far good. and it's built as a test mule um, and we're seeing it running around, which is looking, you know, more like you know, a, a very early pre-production more than a, the test mule because it does look fairly complete. Um, yeah. yeah, I think that's, you know, there's a bit of hope that we it should come through to production. And, yeah, we can only uh, hope and pray that it might come here. Yeah. And uh, as one, you know, as one brand brings a vehicle into production, another one, the ending production, and um, it's not just any vehicle, it's Volkswagen's Golf. Um, so the ending, so it's, it's an interesting thing because the Golf still sends tends to be a fairly high um high seller with uh you know two and a half million sales in the u.s alone um you know since it be you know since it was brought into to the market so it's certainly not a a small volume but the uh the thoughts are that it might actually have that production switch over to the volkswagen id4 the electric crossover um and the ID3, obviously, being the the hatchback being offered in Europe right now. So, is this uh, is this a, a future of what we might see come down under eventually with the the Golf being replaced by a fully electric model? Yeah, look, I think we might see it depending on how VW do it here in Australia. Whether they whether they use the the Golf name as well as part of the ID4 name as well. But um, they're saying in the US though that the the Golf will live on with the GDI and the Golf R um, mm-hmm. over there. But uh, the fact that it itself is dying out over there, sure, I can see that. But I know Australians do like the the golfs, and they've been a, a, again another car that's done well, sort of on rental car fleets and and general buyers. So it'll be interesting to see whether you know they follow suit um, here in Oz or whether the they move towards that ID four or ID range, like you said. Ash, it's uh, it's hard to say. Yeah. Yeah, well, we'll keep an eye on that for you, um, and uh, keep you informed. And I'm sure, uh, if anything for down under happens, we'll we'll certainly hear about it. Um, but Nissan, uh, they're kind of taking a leaf out of Volkswagen's book and um, building an electric camper van. <laughs> this is really cool. Yes, yeah, so the ENV two hundred winter camper. Yeah, um, it's got an integrated kitchen, folding beds, an onboard power pack. Um, that can be recharged by the um, roof-mounted solar panels. Um, and it's a funky little thing. It's actually in the middle of a – the press pitches are in, shot in the middle of a snowfield. Um, and, yeah, it's, you know, it's got room for your skis on, on the back and, um, you know, rooftop tent and all this sort of stuff. Um, I'd be intrigued just to see how well insulated the battery packs are in it and whether or not, you know, they're susceptible if you're out camping overnight – you know, we know what cold does to battery systems. Is it yeah. going to really, you know, are they well insulated to to not be zapped from power as a result? Yeah, well, I've, I've seen a few people, I know it's Tesla and not Nissan, but a lot of people have done um, sleep out experiments um, in extreme cold weather and uh, haven't had any trouble so far. And I think um, as long as, uh, you know, Nissan and their technology, they've been, you know, obviously they've had electric vehicles for a little while now, um, such as the Leaf, that... Um, and and you know with with Nissan being in uh, in Japan that they you know they're no strangers to to snow environments that yeah it should 
yeah, I, I'd expect it to hold up quite well, and um, I, I find this, uh, you know, a pretty cool concept. And I'd love to see something. We've got a really big camper van, you know, a van life uh, movement here in Oz, and uh, it seems like it would be actually an excellent um, contender for that if we had, you know, strategic charging sites. Yeah. Um, think of that at a, a camping site. You know, it'd be one way to attract people to to pack up there and spend a few days. Well, hey, Jeep are putting on, you know, solar panel charging things for the new 4XE um, Jeep Wrangler in, in some of those areas, you know, some, yeah. some of the stuff in areas where people are camping and things like that would be the next, you know, the next step in, in that respect. So that'd be pretty cool to be able to see as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, yeah, I'll have to share some photos of that. We'll have it linked uh, in the show notes. Um, another one, D- DeLorean, uh, is is another one coming uh, or is this just a, a tease for tease sakes? Well, DeLorean celebrated the 40th birthday of the, the DMC-12 on the 21st of January and they posted up a picture showing, you know, we're celebrating. It was the when the first one um, was produced and then they had a teaser shot underneath which showed a more modernised um, silhouette with the golden mm. door. The DMC badge on the front. So, who knows what they're planning or thinking, or are they going to build a tribute or whatever? But um, yeah, all it says uh, is that what a better way to celebrate an icon of automotive history than a sneak preet of the near future. Stay tuned for more. So yeah, yeah very very interesting to see and yeah. um, what they're going to produce. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, who knows? We'll have to keep an yeah. eye out. But it's uh, right. interesting to see these kind of weird teasers that uh, these brands put out. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, this is one thing that we were wondering with uh, seeing some of the Cadillac vehicles down under um, is the Cadillac V-Series Blackwing. Um, its reservation books are opening on February 1. And there's, yeah, this is going to be pretty pretty special car. They've teased it with um, with just the steering wheel and um, some video shots. Um, but yeah, but what do you think? This is a you know, could we see a three point six liter twin turbo, or even a supercharged six point two liter V eight engine for you know just a measly six hundred and fifty horsepower? Yeah, it's interesting. It's um, there's a lot of excitement around it. Um, reservations open on the day of the release. Uh, there's only going to be five hundred available to be reserved, um, which will have a performance trimmer and a serialized plate etched with the five-digit portion of the VIN number, which is really, really cool. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, they're going to do a CT4V and a CT5V. So um, kind of Cadillac's kind of been really missing that performance, extreme performance like this since they had the CTSV. Um, so, yeah, it's um, interested to see, you know, what it is, uh, what it's capable of. Um, and yeah, they're they're expecting that it will that it might be a twin turbo three liter or twin turbo three point six, um, but could they go back to the the supercharged V eight? So um, yeah, I'm excited. And like we've said, you know, could we see them down under with the the new GMSV relationship? Yeah, well, that's uh, that's you know, that's a question, but you know, I think uh, we've got a few more models to to work out with the GMSV, such as the 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 Corvette. Um, before I think they start entertaining that, so 
Um, even though, you know, hopes remain high, but I think uh, realistically <laughs> probably will be the next generation if they get one. Yeah, we probably won't bring it to you next week because it'll be uh, <laughs> on our next show. It might be the week after by the time it uh, finally launches. Um, yeah. But, yeah, excited to see what it actually entails. Yeah. And uh, one that doesn't entail much except for just a huge amount of engineering effort and uh, some wild imagination is uh, Singer Vehicle Design. Um, Singer, very uh, very popular for you know their classic 911 interpretations. Um, Autobooks are, you know, there's a long line of um, of people waiting for a Singer version and uh, big big. Uh, you know, checkbooks or whatever to to place an order, but that hasn't stopped Singer from probably uh, making a few people wanting to put their hand up for what they've built, uh, which is you know one of the coolest off road Porsches we've we've ever seen, and you know a great homage to you know things like the nine five nine rally um, car that you know we've seen in years past. Yeah, this is very cool. It was actually a. Um commissioned by a, a loyal singer enthusiast who commissioned um, ACS to actually not just produce one of these but two of them. So there's a white, parallax white version, um, which is um, singer signature shade, um, and then they, which was designed for off-road rally racing and was in most of the release images and video. But then there was a second one painted in Corsica red that's tailored more for fast driving on, on pavement. The interesting thing to note about this thing and, and the pictures and stuff were just awesome and the driving and stuff that they did um, for the for the footage. And if you get a chance, go and check it out. The video is just absolutely brilliant of it, racing mm. through the forest and over the beaches and stuff like that. But the interesting thing that was pointed out to me that I hadn't picked up on until it was brought to my attention by a friend recently was two things. This came out of the UK. So mm. a UK press office, um, and it also is a left-hand drive car. So what does that mean for um, singers? Because singers have traditionally been right-hand drive have come out of the US. Could it be that we might start seeing some singers make their way to Oz for people that are fans of the brand? Um, could they, you know, now that there's a left-hand drive productions being built and stuff like that. Sure, these two aren't the traditional singer style. There are these off-road versions, but what's not to say there may not be any enthusiasts in Australia that, you know, could be keen to to have one of these themselves and mm. singer allow someone to go and create this. But, yeah, could we see some singers come to Oz now that they're doing left-hand uh, – oh, sorry um, – Left and right hand drive. Yeah, yeah, left and right hand drive. You know, because that market over there, if they're if they're building them out of you know out of that that part, um, you know, could that could that be yeah. the trade? So yeah, yeah, that was an interesting point to to come out of this. The mm. the ones in the in the video are are left hookers um, still, but that's not to say that you know if they're doing some building and construction of this stuff in, you know. Uh, in the UK, where they do build right-hand drive vehicles, you know, could we could we be seeing that? So yeah, yeah, yeah. interesting thing to come out of that. So uh, you know, be an interesting thing to to keep an eye on. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, to to wrap up a bit a bit of fun, we've um, you know, uh, Forza has had uh, Forza Horizon Four. Um, GM have added. Um, I've got over four hundred and fifty different vehicles, but um, the new mid-engine Corvette is now available in the game uh, for you to drive. So you don't have to wait for GMSV to, to bring it out to be able to 
virtually get behind the wheel. And um, yeah, so you'll be able to unlock that and find it, you know, find some new roads in the in the seasonal in-game event. Yeah, I need to go and check this out. I did see this come through, but I haven't had a chance to uh, to go and find it yet. Um, the Series 31 update that it's in came out on the 14th of Jan, so I need to log on and have a bit of a play. Just yeah, to me like, too. <laughs> a bit of a drive on the Corvette, but yeah. yeah, it's great to see them sort of do that um, and add that into the model um, or into the into the game. But you know, it's 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 cool that they've uh, they've gone that, and it'll be the 11th Corvette in the game. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was a matter of time before, you know, the game is still very much active and um, there's there's new stuff coming through every now and again. Um, and, uh, yeah, the game looks fantastic. So it's going to, if you've got a, a well-spec PC or, you know, Xbox Series X or One X, um, it's going to look great. Yeah, very cool. <laughs> All right, man, that was a lot of news to get through. We had to catch up on a few weeks of uh, as we took a break and uh, not much needed time with family and um, time at home. And, um, you know, we're, we're glad we're back on schedule and um, we'll be bringing the latest news to you every single week. Um, if you want to send through any questions, as we said before, shows at dailyautofix.com. You can follow Joel at Joel Strick Photo, and you can follow us at Daily Autofix. Don't forget to rate us and review us on iTunes or in your Apple Podcasts app. That would be much appreciated. And, um, yeah, we can't wait to, to see you next week. Uh, thanks, Joel, for joining us. And um, see you all next time.